It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome to this episode of Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at Bright from the Start, the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, along with Commissioner Amy Jacobs, as always. You know, according to Attendance Works, a national organization that addresses chronic school absenteeism, persistent dental pain, along with related trouble eating and sleeping, makes oral health one of the leading causes of chronic school absenteeism among young students. Among school-aged children, tooth decay is the most common chronic disease, in fact, five times more prevalent than asthma. Research also tells us that children who are chronically absent from school in their early years are less likely to be reading at grade level by the third grade. And Commissioner Decal is very focused on setting up children for lifelong success. So we wanted to address dental health today uh, with information to raise awareness about the impact of good oral health routines for young children. Absolutely. Decal is focused on child well-being, whether it be you know academically or social, emotionally, and definitely physically. And I think t- dental health fits well into that category. I had no idea that it was that leading of a cause of chronic school absenteeism. We're going to learn more about that today from Dr. Adam Barefoot, Director of Oral Health with the Georgia Department of Public Health. Allison Setterland is here. She, of course, is the director of our Head Start Collaboration Office here at DECAL. And we're happy to be joined by Kim Tillman, Health Services Manager for Easter Seals of North Georgia. Folks, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Allison, you've been with us before uh, to talk about Head Start, but Dr. Adam, let's uh, get to know you a little bit better. How long have you been in your current role with DPH, and what were you doing prior to that? Sure. Well, uh, thank you for having me on today. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, To give you a little bit about myself, um, I've been with the Department of Public Health as the Director of Oral Health for a little over two two years now. Came on in January 2018. Prior to that, I was a, a dental director at a federally qualified health center, so kind of a local community health center for about six years. Um, we operated out of uh, Meriwether County and then uh, very southern Fulton County uh, with a couple of different dental offices. And there we saw primarily underserved uh, patients, most uh, with uh, uninsured. We saw people on a sliding fee scale based on income mm. and then on uh, public assistance insurance. Um, and, and while I was there, you know, I, I was kind of privileged to learn a little bit about the burden of oral health and see some real, uh, you know, problems with people falling through the cracks in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I was also there, I went back and got my master's in public health online, uh, which gave me kind of a perspective to look at, you know, the potential to deliver oral health care services and education through a population-based lens. Um, and that population-based health approach is, is much more integrated into traditional medical services, but it was something that I hadn't really learned a lot about in my dental training. Um, so it got me really eager to, to learn about, you know, ways and potential novel strategies to really make an impact on a broader scale. And so when I got the opportunity to come on with uh, Georgia Department of Public Health as the state dental director there, um, you know, I was very excited to take that role. Mm-hmm. Got some real life experiences out there in, uh, in those circumstances. Kim, how about you uh, with Easter Seals? I've been with Easter Seals for over 25 years now, started as a teacher, and was promoted further on as a family service supervisor. All right. And now in the role of health services? uh... Yes. Okay. Very good. 
So given the connection between school absenteeism and oral health, it makes me realize how important it is to have an expert like you at the Georgia Department of Public Health. Can you tell us how your role influences policy and practices at the local level in schools? Well, sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, we don't necessarily look at it as driving policy or trying to, you know, go from that perspective. What really they're to do is inform and educate. Um, and we hope that that education uh, helps local school systems drive their own policies and what benefits them. Uh, but for instance, we, we approach this very uh, through a number of different ways. Uh, we educate Georgia school nurses through the Georgia Association of School Nurses. We speak at their conferences. Um, I've developed a uh, training uh, webinar that will be sent out to Georgia school nurses around the state on everything from just kind of an oral health overview, a little oral health 101, but also things like how to do the 3300 form screening, which all children have to have filled out before entering the public school system. You know, things that are real key indicators to look out for. Um, Want to make sure that they have resources available and are knowledgeable about resources available from everything from, you know, referral list, um, you know, practitioners in the area, uh, special needs services available, things like that. So we try to really empower those uh, people that are really on the ground dealing with the students on a day-to-day basis. Uh, The other thing we try to do is encourage our district oral health, health staff to participate locally on a community level with local school systems. And that can be everything, anything from you know, going in on a career day and educating or you know, setting up a special oral health prevention program where they're, they're going into a school assembly and educating on oral health. Um, but also things like school-based sealant programs. That's something we really highly promote here in the state of Georgia. Uh, one of the reasons is it is one of the uh, strongest evidence-based approaches to prevent dental decay are those dental sealants on those back molar teeth. Uh, So what we do is we target schools where 50% or more of the student body is eligible for the free and reduced lunch program. We know that children from from lower socioeconomic status backgrounds are at a higher risk. Mm -hmm. And so we target those populations and it really breaks down that access to care bearer challenge. We go to them uh, and we have you know, kind of a, a target population there. They're already at school. They have a means of getting to that location. And we work with local partners to go into the school-based setting um, really at the convenience of the school, you know, working with the school's needs at a local level. Um, and it can be anything from a week-long program to a day-long program. We can set up in a classroom or an empty gymnasium. Uh, we really try to be resourceful and, and, and work with the school. Um, and then we can provide those prevention services, dental screenings, uh, dental sealants, and even fluoride varnish in the school-based setting. Hmm. So we know even in early Head Start, teachers are caring for the gums and new teeth of infants and toddlers. How early should we be concerned about good oral health for our children? Well, that's, that's a great question because basically there is no too early. It basically starts at birth. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going through, a, you know, a New new parents mind when when you have a, when you have a child as a, as a parent of twins myself I, I know how crazy those first few months or even years can be um, but just keep in mind that oral health really does start at birth uh, simple things like after a bottle feeding or nursing just taking a clean warm wet washcloth or a piece of gauze and just kind of gently wiping around the mouth um, you know that can you know clear debris from the mouth help get the the infant used to having something in the mouth kind of starting an early oral hygiene practice. Um, and then kind of evolving when those first teeth start erupting, you know, making sure we're starting to brush the teeth twice a day with a very small amount of rice grain size of fluoridated toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really just 
understanding that it really does start at the very beginning. That very first tooth, we're right. going to start paying attention one by one as they as they come in. Yeah. What about um, retaining baby teeth? How long do we generally retain these baby teeth? You know, that's a great question. As a, as a uh, clinical practitioner, I get questions all the time from parents that say, you know, Obviously, I don't want my child to be in pain or have infection, but, you know, how important are these teeth really? You know, they're going to get those permanent teeth in later if, you know, if they have a cavity. Is it, you know, is it really that critical? And I'm here to tell you it really is. Um, we, you know, develop those, those initial primary or baby teeth. Usually, on average, they start coming around age seven months, but they can come in earlier or later than that. But basically, over the first two, two and a half years of life, you're going to get that first 20 baby teeth, the full set of baby teeth. Um, you won't start actually losing those baby teeth till around six, seven years old, and the final ones won't come out till around age 11, even sometimes 12. Mm. So for some of those teeth, you know, you're talking about a, almost a decade of life and those key early developmental years. Um, and so, you know, besides things like worrying about, you know, infection and pain, which should obviously be on the forefront of any you know, parent's mind, um, you know, understand that, you know, losing those teeth prematurely uh, can really set you up for a, a, a lot of issues in those primary developmental years. Mm-hmm. So you talked about your work with the school systems and um, your recommendations around infants and toddlers. So I want to start even earlier than that and ask a question about uh, a mother's oral health during pregnancy doesn't have an impact on the baby's health. That's another wonderful question. I know there's a lot of, um, you know, maybe lack of awareness around this area. A lot of pregnant women are even unsure what they should be doing during their pregnancy. Is it safe to go to the dentist? Um, Not only is it safe for pregnant women to go to the dentist, actually recommended, uh, recommended by groups like the American Dental Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, the American OBGYN Association. And so, it's important for pregnant women to understand that taking care of their own health, including their oral health, is taking care of their baby. I can't tell you how many pregnant women I saw or even women that were recently postpartum that said, you know, I had to worry about my baby. I couldn't really think about myself in those, in those critical times. Uh, well, oral health care should be considered just another key component of comprehensive prenatal care. Poor oral health care during pregnancy has actually been linked to preterm birth and low birth weight babies, which is, of course, something we're very concerned here in Georgia in regards to things like infant mortality. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's important to understand that a a woman, especially during pregnancy, like I said, is recommended to see their dentist, and it is also important for for their child, Uh, not only from the aspect of preterm birth and low birth weight, but a woman's oral health care during pregnancy can actually be predictive of the child's future oral health care later in life. Hmm. Allison, let's tie in what role Head Start plays in ensuring that children and families are practicing good dental hygiene early on. Like Dr. Adam already um, highlighted so well, um, we know that these early routines and these early practices are um, kind of indicative of their lifelong healthy habits at home and, and personally. Um, So Head Start, for the last 55 years in Head Start and 25 years um, with the early Head Start program, has federally mandated um, uh, oral health services for all the children in care. That we also know that that early experience with um, treatment and 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 screening with a dentist makes children more comfortable um, to attend those appointments later on. So just like he said, you know, having that experience um, with brushing your teeth and having things in your mouth 
Um, that getting exposed to um, a dentist early, early by that first year um, helps them feel comfortable with that later on when they need to be doing it the most. So um, federally and in Georgia, um, every Head Start program ensures that family have a- families have access to dental homes for preventative care and treatment, and that includes um, uh, pregnant women. They have 30 days to ensure every uh, family enrolled has a medical and dental home. Also, we monitor the child's health status the whole time that they're in the program and make sure they're up to date with all of the mandated screenings, both um, immunization-wise and with oral health. And this one is a challenge um, for early Head Start more than anything in Georgia. It's, it can be a challenge, especially in rural areas, um, to find pediatric dentists who focus on um, pediatric and children under five, and especially those who are willing to treat young, young children. So we tend to see our numbers lower, um, and that's why those partnerships with public health are so important. And we, every grantee has an established relationship with public health to help them fill those gaps when the community doesn't have um, those services. We also um, are known for, across the country, brushing those teeth in classrooms. You'll see um, at least once, mostly twice, um, children are brushing their teeth um, with fluoride, fluoride toothpaste in the classroom. Teachers teach them how to do that. They model that. It's part of the curriculum, and it happens every day um, as part of their healthy routines. And um, I, the most important thing, I think, that people often um, lean into Head Start because we are um, required and are so good at creating community partnerships. And um, Head Start at the end of the day is responsible financially um, for the treatment of a child with a dental um, need for intervention and treatment. So sometimes that means they have to put them in a a car and drive them to Atlanta to find access to a pediatric dentist. Um, But more often than not, they are at that local community level seeking out um, uh, Medicaid, dentists who accept Medicaid, dentists who are willing to work with young, young children, um, and again, creating those um, strong relationships with the public health team to help them in those community areas. Um, I'm excited to introduce you to a real-life Head Start lady uh, here from Easter Seals of North Georgia. They are a program here in Metro Atlanta. Um, They serve Head Start, Early Head Start, Georgia's Pre-K program, and they provide early intervention services with Babies Can't Wait through the Department of Public Health in in several counties. Um, So Kim Tillman is a family services uh, manager, supervisor, also with health services, and we wanted her to just kind of spotlight what this all federal required stuff looks like um, for parents in your program and also um, in the classroom with the kids. Well, we first start off uh, educating our parents at the time of enrollment, and we explain to them that we require uh, our children to have a dental home and a dental exam and treatment if needed. So we educate our parents, and then we add our parent orientation. We often have a dentist to come in and, again, to explain to our parents how important oral health is. And then later on in the classroom, of course, we said we uh, teach our children how to brush our teeth. And many times the teachers are observing many children with tooth decay, 
Uh, some of them come in with their binkies. <laughs> and of course, we have a hard time transitioning from uh, those binkies and that we see uh, many times decay from children often bottle feeding, the continual bottle feeding and drinking the apple juice at night or Kool-Aid and mm-hmm. soda in the bottle. So we see very bad decay often mm-hmm. and that we have to assist uh, with our children to get treatment and extractions and fillings. So we make sure all of our children have uh, the exams and the required treatment. And many times, because of lack of insurance, we are the last resort, and we make sure that that occurs, and we actually pay for that through Head Start funds. That's a great service for your families. Uh, Dr. Adam, I'm sure you get a lot of questions all the time since you're the dentist on staff, right, (laughs) for the state. Um, But we put a few common questions together that I wanted to ask you because I think our audience um, will love to hear your answer. So any parent has stories about teething. I think I have my my own. Those first (laughs) teeth coming in around six months, those can be sleepless nights for parents. Mm -hmm. What are some tips to help children during that time of teething? Well, you know, I think it's it's a good opportunity. like I said earlier, you know, even just wiping out the, the gums, um, or, you know, after a, a bottle feeding or a nursing and kind of uh, just, you know, keeping the area clean uh, will get children used to having, you know, something in there kind of cleaning their mouth and it, you know, potentially can make a better transition to, to using a toothbrush once the teeth erupt. Um, and there's a variety of infant oral hygiene products, everything from like the kind of pediatric size or even infant size toothbrushes. Um, little wipes, little brushes that go on your finger. Uh, a lot of these will naturally kind of uh, be almost teething items because mm-hmm. they're sitting there chewing, um, you know, kind of as you're, cl- you're cleaning. Uh, I remember my, my own children um, got a little teething toy. It was a, a little banana-shaped uh, teething ring that it was like a, a banana peels came down as handles and the tip of the banana banana were little toothbrush bristle, bristles mm-hmm. um, you know they were just using it to chew on I used it as opportunity once the teeth came in put um, again a little rice grain size amount of toothpaste on there and I kind of used it as the first introductory toothbrush mm-hmm. um, just made sure you were cleaning it regularly like any teething item um, but but really just kind of massaging around the gums as they're as they're coming in uh, really helps that that infant kind of transition to those first teeth coming in now, what about if we're to begin brushing at six months old, when does our child need to see a dentist for the first time? You know, that's another great question that a lot of people don't necessarily know the answer to. Um, when the first teeth come in, and like I said, that could be as early as almost right after birth or as late as a little after a year, but on average probably six, seven, eight months old, um, that's when we really need to be beginning to brush those teeth twice a day. Um, it's also a good time to start thinking about seeing the dentist for a first time. Uh, the official recommendation is either by the first birthday or first tooth eruption, whichever comes first. Okay. It, you know, if parents are getting in by that first birthday, that'll be a great a great opportunity to establish that relationship with a dental provider very early early and get those good habits in the works. So how does dental health and development impact a child's speech and communication? Well, there's several different ways that it that it can. Um, you know, something as early as breastfeeding, very early on, can affect the kind of the formation of the the, the palate development in a child, the lip kind of formation. Um, 
but other things that you know you mentioned the binky, uh, the pacifier, um, thumb sucking. Um, and I, we may have some other um, questions about that. But uh, just in general, you know, those things, you know, done in moderation are typically okay to some degree. You know, if they persist longer in life, they can. Uh, you know, especially getting to near that kindergarten school starting age um, group. It can develop um, some malformations the way the teeth are, you know, erupting and coming in. Um, the other thing that's important, you know, we mentioned primary teeth or baby teeth uh, and the importance of them. Loss of those teeth prematurely to something like dental decay, dental cavities, um, can can definitely affect speech development, more prone to having something like a lisp, more difficulty chewing. Um, and, the, and it's, you know, keep in mind, these are key developmental years in, in the life of a child. Um, you can even actually have, uh, you know, your, your, your profile, um, you know, even extra orally can be impacted uh, by premature loss of teeth. And so all those things can contribute. And then do you have any tips for families and teachers to encourage that child who may be a little resi- resistant to the brushing routines twice a day? What are your tips for families and right. teachers? Right. And, and this, this is a common question. Um, there's not a, a, a perfect answer because a lot of it really depends on what works best for the child. Um, my, my biggest thing, the overarching thing, is get the kids involved. Get them engaged. Don't make this feel like this is something you are doing to them, but they are they have control over themselves. Um, you know, let them try to brush their own teeth. You know, we need to try to go back and make sure they're doing a good job, even up until probably age six when you're kind of monitoring it. Um, but but let them have some control over the situation. I've, I've told parents, let them brush your teeth if you're comfortable <laughs> doing that. You know, again, I encourage you to go back and brush your own um, and make sure that they're doing a good job for you. <laughs> but, you know, you know, give them some control in the situation. You know, let them, uh, once they're old enough to maybe have a preference to pick out their own toothbrush. You know, there's a lot of great, you know, superheroes out there, princesses, whatever they're into. You know, you let them have a choice in the matter. Uh, you know, if there's flavored toothpaste. Let them kind of pick out the, the characters, the flavor of the toothpaste. Um, they may have a favorite song. Um, the recommendation is to be brushing twice a day, two minutes each time, morning and, and right before bed. So if they have a song, you know, especially if it's at least two minutes long, let them play that while they're, you know, um, while they're brushing their teeth, turn into something fun, turn into a dance party, brush your mm-hmm. teeth alongside them. Uh, that is something that becomes fun for them to do with, with the parent. Um, and, and, you know, as somebody that's raising, raising kids on my own, I'm not beyond things like rewards charts, sticker <laughs> charts, things like that. You know, even if you, you know, want to do a, a sweet treat or something like ice cream at the end of the month for, for brushing your teeth good all month, you know, everything in moderation is okay. We just shouldn't be a sweet treat necessarily every single night after right. brushing the teeth. Um, but anything that, you know, can incentivize them and make it something fun for them to look forward to. Right. You know, my dentist had a prize box that yeah. you got to go to. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you do that when you were in private practice? For yeah, we, we, we had those. We have <laughs> stickers and, and everything, and I'm not beyond using them with my own children. So. <laughs> Motivation. Boxes for yeah. adults, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. I've been looking for that, and <laughs> it too. doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> they give you yeah, a toothbrush always... and some floss. You need to be our PR person for the dental, <laughs> you know, overall the dental professional organizations. So, you know, we hear from pediatricians, and uh, Ken actually mentioned it a minute ago, that we shouldn't leave a bottle of formula or milk or juice you said kool-aid uh, even in a child's crib at soda. night a soda yeah that was the other example why is that important yeah this is a real key um you know, piece of information that I, I'm really passionate about. You know, I know how hard those first few months are. The whole family's exhausted, and it, it is very tempting as a parent to do anything that will soothe the child, get mm-hmm. them back to sleep, sleep quicker, get the child to sleep, the parents to sleep, anyone in the household to sleep, frankly. <laughs> Neighbors. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> um, 
but the thing is, we're actually at a more vulnerable stage at night. This is, you know, everybody. Uh, the pH of our mouth typically drops down a little bit. Um, we may be uh, have a little bit of a drier mouth. We may be a, a mouth breather, maybe not have so much saliva there, which has a lot of protective factors. Um, and the thing about it is, uh, you know, whether it's breast milk or uh, formula or any of those things, it, you know, a lot of it does have nutritional value. So I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative about it, but when we have it overnight um, and we sip on it all night long, uh, the frequency especially can be uh, really damaging. Our body has a natural ability to kind of buffer and protect, but we got to give it time. And so if a child is kind of waking up every you know hour or so, sipping on some milk or sipping on some formula, that has sugar in it, just like you know the the bad guys, the candies and things like that. It's, it's sugar that the bacteria in the mouth can break down and produce acid. Um, and sadly, what it results in a lot of times is you know I mentioned the teeth are erupting over the first two years. These teeth basically come into the the, the oral environment with that that kind of negative factor just weighing on them from the second they erupt through the, the tissue um, and they basically form cavities just as they're coming in uh, and it can result in some pretty serious dental issues where sadly children maybe even have to have all the teeth removed at a very young age mm. um, and of course you're talking two three years old uh, a lot of times that has to be done you know in a hospital setting you know it can, get, it can get fairly serious and then you're dealing with a child and these again key developmental years that uh, you know doesn't have teeth for uh, you know a significant portion of that childhood period where nutrition is so important. And so, um, you know, it, it can be a, a scary thing, especially from an infection point of view, but also a developmental point of view. Mm -hmm. And so it's really key to just have those good oral hygiene habits very early, one of which, uh, you know, is, is, as far as healthy behaviors and healthy nutrition, is just not having that bottle in the crib at night all, like, all night long. I want to touch just uh, briefly on cavities. I don't think we've talked about that yet, but I think we've all probably experienced that. Mm -hmm. It's it's not um, the most pleasant experience. Um, are there ways to get a jump on that for children or prevention tips that you can give us? Certainly, and, and definitely to your point, um, starting upstream is is really the way to go. Um, you know, what I saw in, in the Federally Qualified Health Center, a lot of times it was putting out fires where people had had, you know, a really poor oral health, oral health foundation very early in life um, and then you're kind of trying to play catch up right. the rest of the time. Uh, like any type of, of disease, treating downstream factors is much more involved uh, both from a health point of view, a procedure point of view, from a cost point of view. Um, so doing things like those early habits as an infant, wiping out the mouth out of, after a feeding with a, a warm washcloth even before the teeth erupt. Start brushing twice a day uh, once the, the teeth very first start erupt in the mouth uh, at morning and the very last thing right before bed at night. Um, a lot of parents ask, how much toothpaste should I use? Mm -hmm. um, well, the good news is it doesn't. The, the type of toothpaste doesn't really matter. Whatever toothpaste your child likes, you know, that's the one I recommend. Um, it's really the amount that's the key. And so the recommendation is, is think of a size of a grain of rice, just a dry grain of rice out of a bag of rice, a very small amount really, just a tiny little bit like that smeared on the, on the toothbrush um, up until about age two or three when the child can effectively spit on his or her own is all you need. Then after that, uh, all we really need even up through adulthood is something the size of an English pea. So really a lot of us are probably using way too much toothpaste. But if you can establish that habit of brushing twice a day um, with a fluoridated toothpaste, grain of rice until the child can spit, and then a pea size after that, that'll do a lot of good. Uh, I also mentioned seeing the dentist by age one, establishing a relationship with a dental provider very early on. Uh, I can't tell you how 
how helpful that is to us as a dental provider to have a good relationship before there's problems present. The last thing we want to do is is have that very first visit visit be with a child that's already in a lot of pain, right. infection, um, and you're dealing with you know potentially more invasive and involved procedures to try to help that child. Right. You know, we talked a little bit about sugar uh, that it can lead to tooth decay, but really, it's not just candy that causes uh, problems. Is that correct? Yes, and that's a common misconception. People think of the, the obvious culprits. They think of the candy bars, the Snickers, things like that. Um, but, you know, when you think of juices and even just beverages in general, uh, that's, a, that's a common area where people kind of maybe miss it. Uh, certainly things like sodas, uh, but even milk and juice mm. um, have that fermentable sugar that that bacteria can use just the same and mm. break down and release acid in the mouth. Um, so I encourage parents, whether it's a beverage or it's a food, to look at that sugar content and kind of try to, you know, within moderation, keep it keep it <laughs> to, a, to a, a modest amount. Mm. The other thing I would say is the frequency of sugars can sometimes be more damaging than the, the overall quantity, you know, certainly within reason, but, um, it, you know, that comes to things like in-between meal snacking. I would r- much rather have a, a, a child or even an adult, you know, have that candy bar at mealtime and then do something like sip water between meals. Mm-hmm. Then, then have that same candy bar, you know, a, a bite at a time over a two-hour period, you know, sitting at a desk or sitting, you know, at, at the kitchen table. Right. Um, and so trying to limit the frequency of that sugar intake um, can be a really key preventative factor as well really good information. So I'm not, this is a loaded question. How do you feel about pacifiers? <laughs> you, you know, there's I should a lot. should have asked you this about 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, full disclosure. Both, all yeah. Child yeah. Full disclosure, my, my kids both use path, pacifiers. So I'm not, um, you know, here to preach to people. I understand what, it, what it's like to, to, you know, need something to soothe a crying child. Um, You know, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, The American Academy of Family Physicians, they actually indicate some, you know, pros and cons. introduced too early it can have an impact on breastfeeding so a lot of times they recommend let those breastfeeding habits establish first and kind of get ingrained if if that is something you're choosing to do with a child. They've actually shown some evidence of benefits at reducing sudden infant death syndrome um, between about a month and six months of age using a pacifier. Mm -hmm. Um, On a downside, there has been some studies to show that it could actually be linked to excessive pacifier use um, with increased risk of ear infection, especially if the child is already more prone to having ear infections. Mm -hmm. So there's some good and bad things there. From a dental point of view, really, um, you know, I, I think most dentists are okay with it. It's, it's, again, everything in moderation. You know, about age two, we should really be trying to make an effort to wean children off the pacifier and, and thumb-sucking habits as well. Um, you're not going to really create a lot of dental problems at that point. Um, if it ling- you know, lingers on to age four, especially five years old, that's when we start seeing some flaring of teeth and the teeth, you know, malposition. So I really, you know, I, I'm not telling parents not to use them, but again, if we can maybe make keep it to going to sleep times, bedtimes, you know, um, and limit it um, just in those first couple of years of life and then try to kind of wean them off. Um, you know, I, I'm for anything that helps parents, you know, get, get, have a, a soothing child. So. We had a program called Stop the Screaming around our house, <laughs> and uh, we threw everything at it. But, you know, it's something kind of unusual. Talking about baby teeth. I am 56 years old. I still have two baby teeth. Is that unusual? Does that make me a freak of nature? And careful in your answer. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I, I wasn't prepared for that one, but I can tell you, uh, tell you up front that it does not make you a freak of nature. Okay. It makes you, it makes you uh, more unique, but that yeah. can, can be a good thing. 
Um, yeah, some of us are born with congenitally missing permanent teeth. Um, the, usually the upper lateral incisors are the most common, uh, along with wisdom teeth. Um, you can have premolars that are missing. Uh, and so it, it really doesn't necessarily mean anything worse or better yeah. for you. Yeah. Just You just got to maintain those baby teeth because in that position, at least, it's the only one you got. So. I, just, I just thought it meant I was extremely <laughs> immature to have two baby teeth. But I'm telling you, every x-ray... We check on them, and they're there. Yeah, it's right. incredible. Listen, this has been a great discussion. I, we could talk about this all day long because I think we all have interest in our own dental health, but also definitely in our children's uh, oral health. Dr. Adam, where can uh, families and teachers in Georgia get more information on good oral health for their kids? Yes, we would love for you to, to, to visit our website. we got all this information that I talked about today on there. Uh, for more information, go to dph.ga.gov slash oral health. All right. Very good. Great to have you on today. Kim, thank you for coming from Easter Seals. We love having you and the practical stories of what's really going on out there. And again, uh, check out the website at DPH for more information. You guys, thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Antonia Mack and I work in child care services. My question for the commissioner is, when will you recognize new pre-K teachers of the year? Well, thank you for that question. So um, our process will work the same, I believe, this year. This will be our fifth annual, actually, pre-K yeah. teacher of the year celebration, which is great, where we recognize one from public and one from private. So we will announce our... Um, finalist in May so three from public providers and three from private providers and they'll go through um, a very intensive selection process I like to talk about Georgia's pre-k teacher of the year program because it's not a um, popularity contest Mm -hmm. it's actually based on how you perform in the classroom and so they'll do that when they get back for the next school year and then we will announce the two winners in September we usually do that right before Georgia Pre-K Week, and then we'll engage with them for the full year. Hard to believe because it feels like we're just getting to know Heather I know, and Jonathan. I know. It's like, <laughs> and it's your term look. is up. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. They ride it on out for the end yes. of the year, but uh, we have to start looking ahead of we time. We do, yeah. Um, but what a great program. It is. It's turned into a really great program, and um, these Pre-K Teachers of the Year have just kind of formed this bond with each other, mm-hmm. and we still depend on them. They still um, support us in – advisement, whether it's on pre-K curriculum or a quality rated language and literacy endorsement. So um, it's a really, really amazing group of teachers. I know we help pay for their substitutes, but we do put them to work. We do. Yeah, they actually (laughs) do. They do fun things, but yes, they do. They do work as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. Time for the decal download quiz. Your chance to win a nice prize just by answering this question correctly. Send your answer to decal download at decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one winner from all the correct responses. Here's the question When should your child start going to a dentist? When should your child start going to a dentist? Answer that question correctly. We may draw your name for a nice prize in the decal download quiz. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.